This is Pace and Freedom Podcast. I am your host, James Pace, and welcome to another amazing episode. On today's episode, I have Jake Gutwitz, Libertarian candidate for the 13th District of Nassau County Legislator position. And you would not believe he is only 22 years old and is doing an amazing job in his campaign. And it's just such an honor to introduce him. But before we get started, I want to make a special announcement. Right now at Just CBD, you can get Mother's Nature's Secret Miracle Ingredient CBD in a variety of products for 20% off when you use my special discount code PIF at www.justcbdstore.com. Just CBD knows the importance of making quality CBD products like delicious gummy bears, relaxing bath bombs, and even treats for man's best friend. So again, go to www.justcbdstore.com and use discount code PIF for your 20% discount. Now, without further ado, enjoy this episode. Welcome to Pace and Freedom Podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Jake. Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and what are you up to? No, well, thank you for having me. Um, I am Jake Gutowitz. I am a computer scientist. I just graduated from university and I am running for NASA County's 13th District Legislator position. There we go. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you are... 23 years old is that correct uh, 22 years old 22 years, 22 old. years old so you're yeah. probably the youngest uh candidate for your district i mean i'm pretty sure that's a guarantee correct uh definitely the youngest for my district um surprisingly though there is a young candidate who sits on the nassau county legislator i believe he's a democrat josh lefazen he is 25 or 26 right now so started out um that's a that for me is pretty interesting you know when i was a as young as you were back in the day. I'm not that old, though, but... Uh, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, but I like saying that. I like saying back in the day, you know. But back in the day, you know, I was more interested in partying and doing things that I probably shouldn't have been doing. I mean, that's a an amazing thing for somebody your age to, like, have this sense of service and wanting to do something for your community and change your community. How did you get to that point? What made you decide that you wanted to serve your community and uh, run for legislature? Sure. So I went to Long Island University, um, right on the North Shore, close to home. And for three years, I spent at Long Island University complaining about the administration, complaining about things that are going on, talking to my friends about it. And things just kept getting worse. And so finally, in my senior year, I made the decision to join student government and try and do something about it. And we had varying degrees of success, but it kind of made me realize that if no one else is making change, well, then I don't even have a choice. I have to try to fight this fight. And so that's why I'm running for um, the county legislator. You know, life in Nassau County is completely unaffordable for its residents, especially for its young people. No young people can afford to live here by themselves, let alone people that have lived here for their entire lives. And no one is talking about it. And no one is fighting to make a change. And that's why I'm here. So what is contributing to the, uh, the high cost of living, if you don't mind me asking? The biggest contributor is the 
massive amount of property taxes that people in Nassau County are expected to pay. Um, the average, we found a statistic that the average amount of property taxes that people pay in the state, in New York State, is $6,000. Across the whole country, it's only $3,000 per year, of course. Wow. On Long Island, the average is $15,000. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the property taxes are crazy. And so what does that do? That makes owning a home unaffordable. That makes owning a business unaffordable. That makes renting an apartment unaffordable. That makes a gallon of milk unaffordable. Absolutely. Uh, so you're running for the libertarian ticket. Have yes, you I am running for the libertarian ticket. Have you always been a libertarian or did at uh, some point you just kind of converted into it? So I was on another show um, with Steffi Cole a couple of weeks ago and she asked me that question. And I told her, well, I think it was about 12 or 13 years old that I found libertarian ideas, not knowing that they were libertarian ideas, but found them and came into them and, and decided that those were my values. And I think that was wrong. So it occurred to me that in the second grade, during the 2004 election, in my second grade class, we had a mock election. and We were tasked with going home, using the internet, and researching all the candidates running, and figuring out who we would vote for. I came back and said that I would be voting for Ron Paul. And so <laughs> it I think, seems that I think most young people, yeah, I think most people uh, that that I've talked to that uh, converted to libertarians was because of Ron Paul. I mean, he was such a great influence in converting a lot of people. Sure, and even my little second grade brain was able to read the, the dumbed down version of whatever website I was on said about him and say, wow, that sounds like it's a good idea. Right. Let's go back to kind of talking about your age. Has that been uh, an issue going against your, you know, your competition? So in the very beginning, that was our biggest worry, right? That we were going to be talking to people and people will come back and say to me, well, you know, you're just too young. You don't have the experience to do what you're doing. You don't have the authority to even say that you're qualified. And we have found just the opposite. Wow. There's not a person that I have spoken with that has said to me, you are too young to do this. In fact, most people I've spoken with, the first thing that I tell them when I'm running for the county legislator is, wow, that's really great that young people are getting involved. And so it's been, we've had really great feedback. Um, as far as the age difference, my opponent has not addressed it as far as I know. Um, also running as a third party candidate, my opponent has not addressed me so much. He is confident in his position and the more we look at our voter data the less we think he should be right now my understanding so far i mean it seems like you've been pretty successful in fundraising which i would probably also in my mind contribute that to your age you're just a lot more energetic people tend to kind of you're more relatable i guess to a lot of of the younger crowd that are working they're not retired are making a little bit more money um would that be accurate? I think in part that has had um, something to do with my fundraising success. I would like to say honestly that the biggest reason that I've been a successful fundraiser is that I'm not a salesman. If you read anything online about anything marketing related, but particularly in politics, and I've even had this conversation with my team, right? They say to me, Jake, you have to sell these ideas to me. And I said, well, I I'm not a salesman. And I don't think that's what we should be doing. Right. 
so what I do, and I think I'm fairly straightforward with what I believe, even when it conflicts with libertarian ideas, and sometimes it does, I, I, I explain to people my values. My values are small government, lower taxes, less government involvement in our personal lives. And I tell them, if they like those values, then they should vote for me because that's what I'm going to fight for. And that's what no one else in Nassau County is fighting. And I think they like the straightforward nature. I don't walk around like a lot of politicians begging them for money. I don't smile at them really fake and shake their hand and right. tell them that I care about them. I tell them what my values are. And most of them tend to agree with me. Again, it goes back to how successful you, you have been so far. What are Do you feel like there is a good chance to, to get your opponent to kind of notice you more, maybe address you? Is he starting to get to that point, you think? Or is he just very sure of himself? It's like, ah, this is just some third-party guy. He has no chance. You know, he's been a politician for a long time. He's an incumbent Republican. He sat in the New York State Assembly for a long time before coming to sit in the Nassau County Legislature. You know, the media, unfortunately, tends to ignore third-party candidates, right? Um, especially in small elections like this. You know, I always said, everyone tells me that the media hates Donald Trump. I said, the media doesn't hate Donald Trump. The media loves Donald Trump, and that's right. why they can't stop talking <laughs> about him. If the media hated him, they would do what they do to me, what they do to third-party candidates across the country. They just don't utter their names. And so that's our biggest battle, and that's how we're going to get this guy to notice me, is getting through to these media people who haven't cared yet. So what's your strategy so far for that? So much as we've reached out to these media people, we've been relatively unsuccessful with getting any kind of response from them, which is basically what we expected. So what has our strategy been? We're going directly to the people. We right. go to county events. Um, we're looking to plan our own community events. And we're going to have a little end of summer, beginning of school barbecue, hopefully. Um, we're going to be going door to door, you know, trying to talk to people. And hopefully we can do that enough to get our message out there. And, you know, something I have all the faith and confidence that we can do that. Absolutely. I mean, I think just getting down to the grassroots um, does mean a lot to a lot of voters to see that there is sure. somebody that's just hitting the ground running, is just doing everything on their own. They're working hard. Everybody loves an underdog. Absolutely. And, you know, something I say this a lot, that we are basing our campaign model on exactly what representative alexandria ocasio-cortez was able to do right right like her don't like her whatever you have to say about her and believe me i don't agree with a lot of things she says but she did something that most people would have said was impossible exactly. she unseated a ranking democrat to get a congressional nomination and won her election that's pretty incredible absolutely and that's what we're trying to do what she proved is that young candidates have the ability to make a lot of weight and that's what we're banking on in this election. I think that's awesome. Now, for to get down to the grassroots, you're going knocking door to door and almost like reminds me of like Mormon missionaries and stuff. Do you get a lot of people yeah. just don't want to hear it? They just slam the door on you and. Oh, sure. A lot of, you know, a lot of people won't even open the door for us. And, you know, something sometimes I don't blame them. A couple of random people knocking on your door in the middle of the day. You're home alone with your kids. You might not want to open that door. I don't know if I would open that door. Right. Um, 
<clears throat> but for as many people as we get who won't answer us, we get people that are willing to come out and vote for us. Or at least they tell us that they're willing to come out and vote for us. Because there is not a person that I have spoken to that has been able to look me in the eye and say, Jake, I'm not voting for you. Nassau County is perfectly affordable, and we're having a great time. I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, I wish we had more people like that here in San Diego. I mean, San Diego, as you know, is very high cost of living. Um, sure. It's, you know, they want to blame it on, well, it's because of the sunny, you know, temperature and uh, sunny weather and because of the beaches and it just has a high cost because of that. But in reality, we all know taxes and regulations are just out of control here in San Diego. And um, that's what's causing the uh, high cost of living. So now for voters, we we kind of I, I talked about it a little bit with actually and uh, Andrew McLaren on my um, I, re- I did a recording with him and his episode is coming out soon. And we were talking about the, you know, voters that don't vote uh, and kind of focusing on them. Is that kind of where your strategy is as well? So that's exactly what our strategy is at this point. Um, even some older members of our party have come to me and said, you know, you really need to get those mailers out to all those people that are showing up to the polls and voting. And that's great, right? Because these people are already going to the polls and maybe you can influence them. I get that. But what our data shows is that roughly 90% of people under 40 don't vote. That's... There is a massive demographic that is just being ignored by politicians. Right. But then people wonder why things don't change. Things don't change because you have the same old people voting for the same old politicians who are perfectly content in their power. Right. And so why should they change? Why should they do anything differently? And so we're trying to target this younger demographic of voters to come out and vote for me because I can tell you that I must be much more relatable than my 40-something-year-old opponent. <laughs> there you go. And uh, so you you said about 90% don't vote, and the majority of that is younger voters? Oh, yeah. Um, I have a cool um, graphic to show you. We, we, we took our voter data from the last election that was like this election. So four years ago, 2015, the same... Uh, uh, time in the election cycle, if you right. And I believe I can share my screen with Skype. And here we are. And you should be seeing that now. Awesome. And I'll, I'll share this also for the listeners on, the, uh, on our Facebook page. And that way they can take a look at it as well. So if you look at the graph, and you'll excuse my turn head because I'm too looking at it. It only starts to drop off. Once you get to this 35-40 age range, so I'm sorry, this graph is the percent of voters who do not vote. The percent of registered voters who do not vote. So you have almost 90% of people under 40 that don't vote at all. Now, can you imagine how different our elections would be if even 10% of those people showed up and called? It would pretty much be a landslide. It would absolutely change the face of the Nassau County government. Right. And so that's what we're working on. We're trying to target these younger voters. And what we've heard a lot from older people is that our problem is apathy among young voters. Right? That they have this political apathy. that They don't care. They're content with their lives and not doing anything. 
And what we're finding amongst our own friends and amongst our friends' friends and all these people that we've been talking to is that's not at all the case. These are not apathetic people. These are hopeless people who have been raised in this world and they believe that our parents and our grandparents have blessed us such a messed up world that there is nothing that they can do to change it. And so all they need to do is try to survive it. So I think, I, oh. I, I think that's why you have this, this, this strange um, trend among millennials turning to socialism, right? That, well, things are so bad anyway, so why should we bother doing anything? Let the government support us. And that's why you have this thinking. This is not out of laziness. This is not out of, out of ignorance. This is out of hopelessness. This is out of despair that these people do not come out and vote because they don't think that their voice matters. Now, and I can kind of see that, and I've talked to a lot of people that, you know, I've uh, asked and talked, you know, about how can we get to a point where we have less government. And I ask, why do you, you know, I ask voters and ask friends and family that are not libertarians, you know, why do you want so much government, right? Why do you vote for these same people that just are power hungry, essentially, and just takes more and more from you. So why is that? And I think you, you hit it in the nail. It's just, they have this, well, nothing else is going to change. There's just no hope, you know, and then they'll blame it on other people because that's what the media does. You know, well, it's because the liberals won't let me do this or they don't want me doing this. And, the conservatives won't let me do this or they don't want me doing this. And that's why I have to vote for these two tribes. But in the philosophy that kind of you and I share with this, you know, with libertarianism is we don't have to rely on government to tell us what to do. Yeah, you might get people that might not agree with you, but that should be okay. And they don't have the legal right or the natural right to impose their beliefs on you. And it just you seems know, such exactly. a foreign, you know, um, concept to a lot of young people. Why is that? It's just because of the media has ingrained this idea that there's another group that wants to attack you and wants to take away your liberties. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> identity politics has a lot to do with it, right? When, when the media convinces you that your entire identity is one label, well, then, of course, you join some sort of group and you <laughs> tell everyone that your entire identity is one label and you fight for these narrow-minded political policies. And that's why the media pushes identity politics. You know, it, it, it keeps people divided, it keeps people in groups, and it keeps people on a narrow-minded agenda. And it's, it's causing devastation for our country. Right. Our country's political climate is in absolute turmoil. You know, when President Obama was in office, he's signing all these executive orders, and his government is expanding the power of the federal government. And I have a lot of liberal friends, and they're all thrilled with what he's doing and how great he is. I said, but guys, listen. What happens when Obama has expanded all this federal power and then you get someone you don't like in office. In fact, maybe you get someone evil or crazy in office. And they said to me, Jake, that'll never happen. This is America. And then we elected <laughs> Donald Trump in 2016. Right. And now they're spinning their heads and like, oh, my well, gosh, how did this know, guy get so much power? 
that's the phenomenon, right? Is that's not what they're saying either. They're not saying, oh, I've come to my senses and we need to reduce no, the power right. of the federal government. They're saying we need to increase the power of the federal government to reverse the damage he has done. And it's just mind-boggling that people can be so narrow-minded about this. Right. Because sure, you might get for four or eight years a president that is benevolent and is going to do good things with this power. And that's great. But you're not going to have that all the time. Right. You're going to have bad presidents sometimes. We've had a whole slew of them throughout our history. <laughs> it's not new. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I wanted to take a moment to talk about coffee. That's right. Coffee. And not just any coffee. Anarcho coffee. The only coffee where you feel free and energized with every sip. Visit anarchocoffee.com forward slash PIF. Or use the link in the description to purchase a great cup of freedom-tasting coffee. And by using my link, you will be helping support my podcast. Again, Anarcho Coffee. It's organically farmed, ethically sourced, and roast to order. This means it's coffee not from a child slave labor farm covered in pesticides or stored in some dirty warehouse for six months before you get it. The day you order is the day it gets roasted. Packed and shipped. Now back to this episode. So I have this issue then, you know, the same trying to explain this to a lot of people, you know, and I try to I try not to argue with people. I try not to debate them. I just try to educate, you know, one of the reasons I I created this podcast because I was tired of in the process of trying to spread this philosophy uh, and this uh, these principles of liberty you know, that I always end up getting into these battles that I really didn't want to be part of. So I figured, let me create this platform to get people to come together and just talk and just conversate. That's why I don't uh, use labels on my podcasts, you know, when I have guests. Well, you know, and I heard you talk about that with um, Megan Fox. Right. And listen, I don't agree with a lot of what Megan Fox has to say. But one of the few things I really thought was great was that conversation about labels that you can't just label people because immediate because of media indoctrination right you immediately have these preconceptions <clears throat> and unfortunately for libertarians that's a very negative thing because the media has created this preconception of libertarians either the pot smoking monkey or the gun owning bible freak and i'm neither of those right things. you know i i i'm all i am is a young person in Nassau County trying to survive. The way I see it, the only way young people in Nassau County can survive, and everyone else in Nassau County for that matter, is if we start making change. And reducing government, because government has been the the, uh, main cause of problems. When I talk to people about that... Well, (laughs) I'll tell you that whenever I talk to people about the government being bad at its job, they say, well, Jake, that's not true. The government takes care of us and they do these things for us. I said, have you ever been to the DMV? I know, right? That's a perfect example. New York State Department of Motor Vehicles. Now, maybe in California it's different, but I can't imagine it is. You walk in there, wait for hours to speak to a low-level bureaucrat that does not care what you have to say, and then you write them a really large check to do whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. The government manages nothing well. You've heard the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none. That is the government. The government right. tries to do everything, and 
it's my belief that if the government can't do anything or can't do everything, the one thing it can do is bring in people that can do things. Right. So what my campaign is pushing for is bringing in nonprofit organizations, creating better zoning for nonprofit organizations to do the jobs that government cannot do. Government can't successfully uh, end a homelessness crisis. Government cannot successfully feed the hungry and, and take care of people. But there are a lot of good organizations who have a lot of experience doing these things who would be thrilled to have government supporting them through legislation to do these things, to do these jobs better right. than an elected or even worse, an appointed bureaucrat could ever hope to do. Absolutely. You know, and I did this little experiment this past week, uh, and I'm planning to do it again uh, actually record. I wanted to see what would happen just without recording and without, you know, making it, uh, broadcasting it basically. And so I'm planning to do that here, um, very soon. And what I did was I went out and I, I talked to a couple of business owners, small business owners, and I asked them what would happen if let's say we dropped the minimum wage, that there's no minimum wage, right? How would that affect your business? And how would that affect your employees? And the majority of them, I mean, I didn't go to a lot, but a handful of businesses. And the majority of them said, there wouldn't be that much of a difference. I wouldn't necessarily have to drop my, my employees' pay for that much. Sure. And it would, I would still be fair. So we have the government, they impose these minimum wages, and it keeps getting higher and higher. I don't know where it's at in New York, but I know here in San Diego, uh, by 2020, it's going to be $15 an hour, which is just... So I think it's the same, in fact, in New York State, that by 2020, I think New York City is already $15 an hour, but the entirety of New York State by 2020 will have to be $15 an hour. You know, I think it's a very calculated move, right? And not by the government but by big corporations, right? right? Walmart can afford to pay people $15 an hour. The hardware store down the street cannot. Cannot. Mm. And so eventually it puts them out of business and big corporations take over even more. Right. And that's what's happened all over Long Island. Small businesses are not performing well on Long Island. And that has a lot to do with the property tax, right? right. So I, I want to open a business. The first thing I have to do is find a spot to put my business. And so I go shopping for real estate, even just to rent a right. space. And rent for a storefront is absurd. And I say, okay, well, I want to open a deli. I can't sell that many sandwiches to pay $3,000 a month in rent. It's never right. going to happen. And why is the rent $3,000 a month? Because property taxes are absurd. These landlords have to pay an incredible amount of property taxes, and so they have to pass that on to their tenants. Right. And it's the same when you're renting to to anyone who needs an apartment, place to live. Their property taxes are so incredible that you can't find an apartment on Long Island for less than $1,800, $2,000 a month. And so what, what our plan for small business is, funny you mentioned it, is we would like to roll out a new sales tax plan, right? Our first idea is, listen, we want to slash taxes, and so we're just going to slash the sales tax, and that's going to help. But it occurred to us that we don't want to slash everyone's sales taxes. 
I don't want to slash Home Depot sales taxes. I don't want to slash Walmart sales taxes. I don't want to slash ShopRite sales taxes. I want to slash sales taxes for small businesses. Right. So our plan, which we are working on and will come out in more detail in the coming weeks, will reduce sales taxes for small business owners only. They will be able to pay a reduced rate in sales tax in order to to get the ball rolling with bringing businesses back to Long Island, making them soluble enough to stay on Long Island, and then and then pair that with slowly decreasing the property tax that their rents go down. Now, how many legislators are there in uh, Nassau County? I believe there are 21. So say you get elected, uh, how confident you feel to be able to convince you know these other 20 legislators to share your vision and sure so my agenda is by no means radical you know there are a lot of libertarians out there who walk around talking about how they're just going to abolish taxes because taxation is theft or i as i have always said taxation is extortion right um but the reality is our society the way our society functions is based on where those taxes are spent it's unfortunate it's horrible and it needs to change but that's not going to change overnight. And so my goal in my first year as county legislator would be to make sure that property taxes do not increase, to keep the same level, because they increase every year. So our first major victory would be no increases. And then every year, as the government has increased our taxes one or 2% or however much it was, we decrease it one or 2%. And that gives the government enough time to make one to two percent or whatever it is of budget cuts necessary to do that you know for many years the government has told us every year that you just need to learn to live on less and it's time we tell the government that it's time the government start to start to end its massive bloating bureaucracy right and i do not think a couple percentage points cut in their revenue every year is that radical of an agenda and I feel confident that there are people in Nassau County, once they see that I'm elected and I'm pushing for this, who will start to call their legislators and push for these same policies. Right. Definitely. So with the Libertarian Party, something that we notice, there's not a lot of examples for people to really look at when it comes to voting. I mean, that's why I feel we do so horrible in the presidential elections. We do so horrible in, in uh, gubernatorial elections. is because we seem to focus more on those larger offices and not focus so much on the smaller offices like leg- county legislators, city councils, uh, mayors. And you know, the funny thing about that is, and we've talked or i've talked about it since i was in my senior year taking my ap government class right <laughs> is that the local government has more of an effect on our everyday lives than the president will ever have right or at least that the president should ever have right and so it's important and so what we're trying to do is make people pay attention and especially young people because right. these are the people whose lives whose lives on long island are on the line you're talking about a group of people either just graduated high school or college, who are ready to join the workforce, looking around and saying, oh, crap, I can't afford to live here. Right. And so they have to make one of two choices. They stay at home and live with their parents until they're financially soluble, or they have to leave the state. And more and more people 
are making that tough choice of leaving their families and leaving the state. Definitely. Um, so we're trying to make people realize the importance of these these county elections. And hopefully when they see me get elected, they see me slowly but surely decreasing their property taxes, they'll start to get a better sense of it. You know, I, I feel like the Libertarian Party really dropped the ball back in um, 2004 and um, again in, in 2012 with Ron Paul. He he really got the, the younger generation. He captivated them. And there was a, he had a big uh, movement with the younger crowd. And as we saw, he lost. But the Libertarian Party just totally dropped the ball on the young people. They just totally abandoned them. And who picked it up? Unfortunately, Bernie Sanders, right? Well, he, and, and that's exactly it, right? You know, and I feel like, and, and I've said this, and, and a lot of people don't agree with me, but I believe the reason that the, the main reason that the Libertarian Party is doing so poorly, why they couldn't even begin to consider the young voters that Ron Paul had pulled in for them, was because they can't unify themselves as they are. Right. You know, libertarianism means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Absolutely. It's a huge people, spectrum. Well, exactly. To some people, libertarianism means I can own my guns and I can do whatever I want and I can I can you know, grow cocaine fields in my backyard. To other people, libertarianism means I, as a big corporation, can do whatever I want to people without any consequences. And <clears throat> while I might not agree that all both those opinions necessarily are libertarian ideas, it's the only party that even remotely pushes any kind of liberty. And so they all fall under that blanket. And so the Libertarian Party has trouble uniting itself as it is right now. Right. They couldn't possibly have dealt with the massive numbers of young people that Ron Paul did manage to captivate, including myself. You know, I, I heard this metaphor in another podcast, so I'm going to steal it and, you know, they can come after me afterwards if they want. We all need to get into this school bus basic all of us libertarians no matter where you're at in the libertarian spectrum if you're an anarchist or if you're just say you know a minimalist we just all need to ride this bus together and reach our destination first and once we reach our destination then we can battle it out and decide how we should at that point uh, how free or how libertarian you want the country to be but for right now we just need to get together on the school bus and just ride along together you know, and get to that destination it's an interesting metaphor i don't know if i can say i agree that with that i think that the only way everyone is getting on that school bus is if they manage to create a platform that everyone can get on now unfortunately i don't think that's that that's possible i don't think it's possible to create a platform that all these different spectrums of of libertarian can can get behind and of course that would create break-off parties yeah, which know, has already people. started, actually, yeah. Which has already started. And I don't think that's a bad thing, either. And what my campaign is fighting to do in Nassau County is to replace our antiquated voting system with a ranked-choice voting system that would, in fact, give break-off political parties the chance they need to get votes. Yeah, I, I talked a little bit about that with uh, Dennis Lambert. He's the uh, presidential hopeful for the in the Green Party. And, uh, you know, he mentioned the same thing, like we need to, you know, us third parties need to get behind uh, ranked voting because it would just give us all that opportunity. If you agree or disagree with it, the fact that we can we have this hope and this 
possibility to be able to actually compete because right now we cannot compete we have to do all we have to jump all these hurdles to get on a ballot and i'm talking more about maybe like the higher end positions of course right uh you know lower end i think it's a little bit easier but we still have you know we still have hurdles to to overcome but we all have these extreme hurdles gathering signatures trying to keep stay on the ballot try to get on televised debates if we just had this other system that actually gave that opportunity to anyone to to serve, why not? You know. Well, exactly, and it gives the voter more choice anyway. Right. And what red-blooded American can look you in the eyes and say, "I don't want more choice on my ballot." Right. I I, I don't think there's anyone. You know, I read as long as we're going with metaphors. I read an interesting post online, and I couldn't even tell you where it was at this point, that ranked choice voting is like going to a restaurant, ordering dessert, and telling the waiter, I'd like a slice of chocolate cake, but if you don't have chocolate cake, bring me a scoop of ice cream. And so the waiter goes in the back, they check for the chocolate cake, they say, oh, well, the chocolate cake isn't there, and they bring you out a scoop of ice cream, and you're perfectly happy with that. Yeah. I mean... and, and, and that's what that's all ranked choice voting is. It, it, it's giving people a second choice without wasting their vote. Right. Because... There is this conception in the United States, and I don't really understand it, but there is this conception in the United States that voting for a third party is a waste of a vote. They say, well, you know, these people aren't getting elected anyway. I want to be on the winning team. And I don't really get it because, A, I think if everyone who said that voted for a third party, we would have third party candidates in our government. But B, it's so limiting in your own choices for government. And what sense does that make? What ranked choice voting would do is it would not change the plane of politics. You would still have Democrats and Republicans in office in the large majority of cases. Right. But it would it would allow third parties to accomplish what they are supposed to accomplish. Throughout American history, third parties don't win elections. But also, that's not where they can claim victory. Their victory does not come from winning elections. Their victory comes from getting one of the two major parties to adopt their policies. There and so you, we yeah. look at Nassau County, right? We look at my own election. If we had ranked choice voting, people would be able to go to the polls and say, you know, I really like this libertarian kid, Jake Gutowitz. I don't know if he's going to win, but let me cast my vote for him first. And because I, it's the next best choice, I'll rank the Republican second. And the Republican would probably still win that election. There's a very good chance he will still win that election. But when the Republicans look at their voter data and say, holy crap, 30% of our voters voted for the libertarian candidate first. Well, then suddenly the Republicans have to listen to libertarian ideas. Absolutely, yeah. And that is the biggest victory that we can ask for. Right. It's great to get our politicians in office because they are going to fight for our freedom. Right. But if we can't have that, the next best thing is getting politicians who are already there to listen to us. Right. So, you know, I've talked to a few libertarians and they, they're totally against the rank choice voting. What, what, why do you think that they're so afraid of it? I mean, you it know, seems like a pretty good I deal to me. I couldn't imagine anyone, especially a libertarian, being against rank choice voting. It, it gives you more choice. And that's all it does. It gives you, as a voter, more choice on who you can vote for. And your vote is never just tossed out, at least until the final automatic runoff, right? Right. Um, for those of you that don't know ranked choice voting, there is a great series of videos, and it's how I discovered it, on the YouTube channel CGP Grey or CPG Grey, so something like that. I'll look it um, up and I'll put it in the description. Oh, that's great. 
I don't know him, and so I, this isn't the plug for his his channel. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he's fairly successful without me, but he has these great graphics on what ranked choice voting would look like and why it would be such a better system. And if it gives people more choice, what harm could it do? Of course, the only harm it could do is for the people in power when their constituents say, oh, well, you know, I might have another choice other than you who've sat in office for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years right. and have just maintained the status quo while my life has gotten worse. I think I totally agree. When I first heard of ranked choice voting, I wasn't too sure of it either. And then after talking to you know, a few people outside of the Libertarian Party, it's funny, it was outside of the Libertarian Party that uh, I was actually more convinced of it. Sure. Well, you know something? New York City Democrats are exploring ranked choice voting for their primaries because there's so many candidates now. Um, right. I, I think this is, we can attribute this to Ocasio-Cortez. There's so many candidates running for Democrat positions now that instead of spending the money on all of these runoff elections, why not just have ranked choice voting? It's one election. It saves money. And you get a decision right then and there. What is your message for the young people that are they seem to be going more towards the socialist philosophy the more the socialists, you know, because of that hopelessness that they have. What's your message of hope to, to vote for you and for maybe more of a libertarian philosophy or libertarian um, ideas? Sure. So the difference between me and a socialist, my age is I do not believe that, our country is past the point of no return. I believe that if the 90% of people in my own district alone, under 40, who do not vote, voted, we could really make some change. And we can make really positive change. And listen, I will never agree, and the liberal or socialist may never agree with me, on what the position of government should be, right? There will always be someone out there believes that the government should have this power, a statist, a socialist, really believes in these causes. But I don't think that's a majority of millennials. I think we, we cast them as socialists. And I, I just think, like I said, they're not hopeful. And my message to them is that they should be. We can make change. Lots of people are proving that today. The media might not pay attention to them. The media is not paying attention to me. That's not going to stop us. And we can make change. I think that's a beautiful message. Um, I would not have been able to put it better myself. Um, you know, you. <laughs> and I think it's really awesome that you're doing this, you know, and doing it at a local level, I think means a lot for libertarians just because we need to win more uh, local communities yes. over. Uh, we're never going to elect somebody for governor or somebody for president, if the average voter and the people that don't vote, as you brought up, don't have an example to go by, voting in a local governor in your community is uh, a sample experiment that I think a lot of people can get behind uh, to say, okay, uh, I don't think this might work as a, as a president. I don't think Gary Johnson would do really well as a president, but maybe I can vote for a city councilman or a county legislator and see how it goes. And then if I like it, then I'll vote higher and so forth. I just feel that the Libertarian Party doesn't do much for the the lower communities. Like, it doesn't seem like there's enough guidance for the smaller community well, candidates. 
and, and that's exactly right. You know, it's like I said before, the National Party is so badly divided among so many different factions who all think that they are pure libertarians. And I've heard that term multiple times since right. I started my candidacy. I hate it. It makes no sense. What's a pure libertarian? And I think I had I had this discourse with someone on Twitter, actually someone who's running for a different legislative district, a libertarian, who tried to talk about pure libertarianism. I said the only way you could define pure libertarianism is if you define liberty. And liberty means very different things to very different people, and that's right. okay. That's okay. People experience all sorts of different kinds of oppression from all sorts of different kinds of people. And so we will never come up with the definition of what pure libertarianism is. But what I tell voters, right, what I tell people, if your values are that the Constitution of the United States matters, that the Bill of Rights is there to protect you from all domestic and foreign threats, and you believe that more people need to fight to defend your rights, then the Libertarian Party is it, and I'm it. Right. Absolutely. That's great. I think that's a, a wonderful message. And I hope that a lot of other small community candidates, hopefully they'll hear this podcast and hear that message that, you know, you have and they can adopt it as well. I, I completely agree. The other thing I think that we need to do as a third party is we really need to kind of not only get together within our, our, our own party, uh, you know, and kind of work better together, but uh, I, I really think that we need to, to get behind well not necessarily behind but get together with other third parties and not necessarily ally but work together and you know help to create opportunity for exactly third parties. exactly yes. you know yep. even if it means getting together with a, another third party and say hey let's do this joint uh town hall meeting you know we'll split the cost that would help so much if we can just do those kind of things exactly yeah uh, unfortunately the libertarian party I think has not involved, despite arguing for liberty and defending people's rights, doesn't actually do that within itself. I think the Libertarian Party, or at least a lot of people in it, tend to be very exclusive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think like, like, like I said before, that these people who believe in pure, what they think is pure libertarianism, they try to make this very exclusive. And right. we have to drop that, right? We have to drop this idea that liberty is exclusive. You know, we have to drop the idea that liberty is exclusive, I think especially for men in the Libertarian Party. Oh, definitely. I find, I, I have found, talking to other Libertarians, that there is this exclusiveness for men in the party still. And I think as young people come into the party, our biggest goal is to get rid of that, right? To fight right. for the fact that women should have much more of a say in our party. The fact that everyone should have an equal say in our party, the way we argue that we should all have an equal say in our government. And, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up, the exclusive. You know, again, when I created this podcast, my, my main goal, and I've noticed that about, you know, a lot of libertarians, we just, we have this tendency, and I get it. I've been told, well, you know, every party does that. Every uh, political idealist has this but i just feel like the libertarian party especially you know glenn beck i think made the greatest uh metaphor it's like somebody comes into the libertarian store from you know and there's like a, a terrible storm outside and it's raining and this liberal comes into the libertarian store and we just like we just get 
on them and make them feel like crap for being a liberal and throw them right back out into the storm. And, you know, when he, he put it that way, it really, that I think that was the kind of the seed for me to create this podcast and be more inclusive you know, bring in that, that liberal and that conservative into the libertarian store, show them around, give them some samples. Uh, and then eventually, as he puts it, get them back in the back room where the libertarian porn is. Uh, and I think I can kind of see that that's kind of how you run your campaign, um, to be more inclusive. And I, I think that's awesome. I think we need to do that more. And, uh, I know it's, I, I just feel happy and uh, and more hopeful that there are more candidates starting to see it that way. And, um, you know, hopefully we can get the rest of libertarians and the rest of third party um, out there to be that way as well, be more inclusive. And, and you know something? It's not impossible. My campaign team is the perfect example of that, right? <laughs> My campaign team is, A, mostly women, and B, None of them would identify as libertarians. There is not a single person on my team <laughs> who, if you asked what their party affiliation was, they would say, oh, yeah, the Libertarian Party. They're all either pretty progressive, in their words, liberals, or pretty diehard Republican Trumpers, in fact, who haven't, before we started this campaign, even really been exposed to libertarian ideas or educated about libertarian ideas. And suddenly, all these different people from all these different political backgrounds are saying, you know, if this guy's a libertarian and this is what he's saying, well, you know, those are really actually my values. Right. And so maybe I need to learn more about this. And so if we stopped being so exclusive, our party would expand quite rapidly. Oh, I absolutely. Mean, I, am, I am certainly not the greatest politician, the greatest diplomat, the greatest, you know, fine. But I was able to do it. If I could do it, our professional libertarian politicians would definitely be able to do it. I, I completely agree and so give a, a plug in for your campaign where can people find you how can they support sure, so look for me on twitter at jake for nassau that's jake and the number four nassau <clears throat> look for my website jake for nassau.org again jake the number four nassau.org on there you can learn a little more about me um we're going to be adding a page soon of all of our research that our data scientist has been working on showing who is paying the most in property taxes, who is being the most hurt by our government. And of course, this voter data that we've talked about today to show people that their voice really would matter if they all spoke up. Um, so that's going to be really interesting. Come check out my website. Um, if you'd like to donate, our opponent's war chest is much bigger than ours, right? We are struggling to afford yard signs at this point. You know, we've raised a significant amount of money. We raised $1,500. That's a lot for a local that libertarian is. candidate. But we need we need more. Um, you know, I, I, I feel I feel like a beggar sometimes right. as a politician, <laughs> and I don't like it. But my values are liberty. That's it. If you believe in liberty, if you believe that change needs to be made, that life needs to become more affordable and less burdened by the government, give me a $5 donation. Send us a $5 donation, a $1 donation, anything you can contribute, and we are going to fight to make it happen. Sounds great, Jake. Hey, thank you so much for being on, on Pace and Freedom. It's no, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much.